0: i'm christine and i'm alan we'd like to thank you for tuning into our discussion this week
1: our hope is that we'll share some information that you will find helpful
0: so now we invite you to join us as we together
1: listen listen for for the the word. word
0: Hi, everybody, and welcome to our podcast today. We are continuing in the book of Luke, and we are now in Luke 18, verses 1 through 9. So, Alan, why don't you take it away for us?
1: Thanks, Christy. Our our lesson for today takes us back to the parables that are unique to Luke's gospel. And uh, this one is interesting because, you, you know, many scholars speak of parables as stories with a twist, but this particular parable, I would say, has a double twist.
0: I, yes, yes, it does. I really like this one. So um, I, I think, though, we have to put it in the context. We do.
1: Um, the preceding context in Luke's gospel that we didn't take into consideration in the Revised Common Lectionary is Luke, seven, Luke Luke seventeen, twenty through 37, where Jesus responds to both the Pharisees and his own disciples' lack of understanding about the kingdom of God, which he says was already at work among them, but they failed to realize it. Um, Furthermore, Jesus tells them that on the day that the Son of Man is revealed, that what happens will be unmistakable, sudden, and inescapable. So it's not like they have to worry about missing it or wonder what the signs will be. Mm -hmm. And the implication then is that the passage reinforces the need for faithfulness, watchfulness, and a sense sense of urgency regarding the completion of the kingdom of God. And, you know, it also sets the stage, really, for the parable in chapter 18, which was traditionally known as the parable of the importunate widow, Mm -hmm. but it's probably better titled the parable of the persistent widow and the unjust Mm -hmm. judge.
0: So, um, yeah, and I, I was thinking about that, what title my Bible has, and I don't know off the top of my head, but when we were starting this, I was thinking, oh, gosh. Um, but the new yes. RSV
1: simply says the pair, the widow and the unjust judge. Oh, test. there you go. There you go.
0: <laughs> so um, moving ahead then with it, um, how do we, you know, as I've been working through this, I don't always... No, it's a parable but this is one of those that gives us the clue right
1: yeah it really does and and as is characteristic with Luke he introduces the parable with the interdu- interpretive clue he not only identifies it specifically as a parable but tells them what this parable means uh, and in mm. verse eighteen one, he says then Jesus told them a parable about their need to pray always and not lose heart so again the setting has in view I think the difficulties and perhaps even the open hostility that Jesus disciples will face in the interim between the days of the son of man that's a quote from Luke 17:22 mm-hmm. which relates to the time of his ministry and the day when the son of man is revealed which is a quote from Luke 17:30 mm-hmm. uh that is the, when the kingdom is brought right. to fulfillment and so in that interim, they're going to face these challenges. And in light of these challenges, the parable reinforces then the need for tenacious faithfulness in holding firmly to faith in God, who has been amply characterized in Luke's gospel as merciful, right. loving, caring, and generous.
0: Right. Oh, that is... Uh, uh, I. I don't think sometimes we tend to put this into that broader context. I know. And I was thinking about this again today, and as as you said, that was so beautifully worded, and I just kept thinking of, don't lose track of this when you get into the parable. It's It's
1: so common for us because Jesus draws a comparison between the judge and God to think of God as if he is like this unjust judge. Mm. And Luke's gospel has abundantly borne witness to the fact that no, th- this, is a, this is a lesson in opposites. You right. know, the, the judge is the opposite of God.
0: Right. So um, there's two main characters in the parable, yep. right? So yep. why don't you introduce us to them?
1: Yeah, uh, and as we've seen in other parables, these two main characters couldn't be more different. Uh, Jesus introduces the parable by introducing the first character. He says in verse 2, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor had respect for people. Now, while it's true that Not being a respecter of people can be a good thing in the biblical text. Here, it clearly has a negative quality. Uh, Jesus' description of the judge indicates a fundamental flaw in his character. Mm -hmm. Uh, He he has neither proper reverence toward God nor proper respect for people. And it really calls to mind Josephus' description of Jehoiakim. Mm. Jehoiakim was Josiah's son, and Josiah was known as a righteous king. But Jehoiakim was notorious for his bad conduct. And Jehoiakim says he was neither pious toward God nor fair toward people in Antiquities, mm-hmm. in chapter, uh, Book 10, Chapter 5. Now, so although the judge in the parable would have been a local magistrate charged with rendering fair decisions, clearly this man did not care anything about justice.
0: Right. So that's our first character. Yeah. yeah. I would be inclined to call him the bad guy, but that might be <laughs> pushing think, it too far. No, it's I don't the think The bad so. guy, okay. He neither
1: feared God nor had respect for people. Um, 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 Joel Green said, you know, in a lot of contexts, that's sort of the apex of wit- wickedness. Of wickedness, yeah.
0: okay. And so we have a second opposite character, if you will, the... The good guy <laughs> Yes, or the good, or the good woman, lady. The good,
1: yes. So he introduces the second character in the next verse. In that city, there was a widow who kept coming to him and saying, grant me justice against my opponent. That's verse three. Mm-hmm. Now the role of a widow in the ancient Near East was one of the most vulnerable among society, along with orphans and refugees, as we probably are familiar. The implication is that this widow Neither had a male relative to represent her before the judge, nor anyone to provide for her needs. She was likely impoverished and alone in the world. And while it is true that justice was to be administered fairly and impartially, the Old Testament makes it clear that the God who liberated his people from Egypt, and here I'm quoting from Joel Green, Uh, his commentary on the Gospel of Luke. Um, The Old Testament makes it clear that the God who liberated his people from Egypt is the God who directs his people to show special partiality on behalf of the oppressed among them, specifically for the resident immigrant, the orphan, and the widow. And, you know, in fact, there there are several places in the Hebrew Bible where widows and orphans and resident immigrants are to be the objects of special care and protection.
0: Right. So, again... I, not just just opposite in behavior, but opposite in 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 kind of societal space, status, right? status, yeah, yes. status.
1: I mean, the judge, uh, you know, this was probably a small town, so he wasn't a, a he was a he was a big fish in a very small pond, but uh, he nevertheless had a great deal of power in that community. Uh, the woman has no power, has no status. None. Right. Yeah.
0: So, how does this parable play out?
1: Well, the premise of the parable is is that because the judge neither feared God nor had respect for people, he had refused to grant this widow justice in a dispute that had been brought before him. Very likely, it was a dispute involving property or money that was rightfully hers mm-hmm. but was being withheld from her by her opponent, and the, the Greek right. word is antitikos, mm-hmm. and it can mean someone who takes you to court, someone who is, mm. is accusing you. Um, I don't I don't like the new RSV update edition. The new updated edition of the NRSV says um, um, that he refused to grant, her, you know, she says, grant me a justice against my opponent. Um, the new RSV updated edition says, grant me justice against my accuser. Hmm. And I'm not sure that's the right translation, although that's what Lowe and NIDA suggest in their Greek mm-hmm. lexicon of semantic, according to semantic domains. But I don't see it that way. But the parable doesn't spell out explicitly what the, the, the point of this case right. was. And as a result, because the judge refused to grant her justice, the widow kept coming to him, and it's the verb erkamai in the imperfect, mm-hmm. which implies repeated action, right. to demand that he give her the justice that was due her. And the verb is ekdikeo, which means to grant justice. Um, but Jesus says, for a while... He, that is the judge, right. refused.
0: You know, I am just struck because in this age, a woman having to advocate for herself is, I mean, there's always a man to go along. So this Absolutely. woman truly is alone in Absolutely. the world. Yes, okay. Yeah, so. and,
1: and Louise Schottroth, um, who um, was a feminist biblical scholar back, who was active back in the 90s, um, has a book called Lydia's Patient Sisters, a feminist social history of early Christianity. And she points mm-hmm. out, you know, that this woman's, this woman is having to step far outside right. what was considered to be um, appropriate for her as a, as a woman and as a widow in terms of her conduct.
0: Right, yeah. right. Okay, so yeah. uh, moving on.
1: So how long this went on, we don't really know, but the judge's soliloquy implies it has been going on for some time. Though I have no fear of God and no respect for anyone, yet because this woman keeps bothering me, I will grant her justice so that she may not wear me out by continually coming. That's Luke 18, 4, and 5.
0: It's so insulting. I mean, I read that as as a woman, and it's just so insulting. It is. It is. (laughs) I'll just, gosh, get her off of my case. Right, right. And and
1: you haven't heard the worst of it yet, because the translation is a bit lame, I would say.
0: (laughs) Ah, um, all right.
1: So now it's telling to note that once again, we have a soliloquy going on mm-hmm. here with the unjust judge, right. as we did with the rich fool in Luke chapter 12 and the dishonest manager in Luke 16. Mm-hmm. We should be noticing a pattern here that those who disregard God <laughs> engage in soliloquy in Luke's gospel. <laughs>
0: Yeah. <laughs> that's kind of funny. I hadn't realized is. that before. It, is. <laughs> it kind of cracks me up.
1: <laughs> it is. It is. It's like, ob- it's kind of, it's kind of, it makes it obvious, right? It
0: kind of makes him, I keep thinking of Gollum, you right. know, going oh, back no, and forth. Going forward. back and forth, right? You know, and, right. and, and, and yeah. it's like, I don't have any anyone really to talk to except my own right. you know, evilness. Right. <laughs> so right. Gosh, that's kind of funny.
1: <laughs> now, I mean, it's also almost comical and, and definitely significant that the judge himself repeats jesus assessment of his character he says i have no fear of god and no respect for anyone <laughs> so he he self-incriminates exactly. here basically right and and i think we should we should pay attention to this because in a time this is a time when the production of documents was an expensive and difficult task and repetition like this was used only right. for a reason. Right. Because right. you're wasting precious space. E- exactly, yeah.
0: exactly. But yeah. they really want us to know that this yeah. guy is This just guy mortal. really is a bad guy. <laughs> I am a really bad guy. I have no I get to see him, you know. I don't have fear for God. I don't have respect for anyone. I'm
1: yeah. Yeah, the, the image of Gollum from the Lord of the Rings does, <laughs> oh my does kinda goodness. come to mind? Yeah,
2: yeah, I yeah.
0: Think. Yeah.
1: So the judge decides to grant justice to the widow, not because it was the will of God, according to the clear witness of Torah, which is true, or not because it was the right thing to do, nor even because he had a shred of compassion for her. Rather, he decided to give her justice because she keeps making trouble for me Mm -hmm. or because she keeps making more work for me. Now, the, the New Revised Standard Version says it this way, because this widow keeps bothering me, I will grant her justice. That's okay as far as translation goes, but literally it's she keeps making trouble for me or she keeps making more work for me or I like what the New Living Translation says, this woman is driving me crazy. So it's yes. it, it's a little bit, I mean, it, to say she keeps bothering me is toned down a bit right. from what I see in the Greek. I see in the Greek more of this woman is driving me crazy. Yes, 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 <laughs> which...
0: <laughs> Yeah, it it gives it more of a. It makes this guy look even more obnoxious, maybe, and Mm -hmm. um, and her request seems even more put off. Yeah, yeah,
1: and and again, we should note that part of the problem is that you know her persistent demand for justice was far outside the boundaries of what was considered acceptable for a Mm -hmm. for a woman, acceptable conduct for a woman in her position, right. So then, the new RSV translation of the second part of the judge's justification, that she may not wear me out by continually coming, is truly a lame rendition of the Greek text. It's very weak. The verb translated wear out here is hupo piazzo, and it means to give somebody a black eye by punching them in the face. <laughs> Literally.
0: Wow. So this is really weak. <laughs> yeah. Wear out and yeah. This is a black eye from punching in the face. That's a little different. That's than quite different. Out. And in yeah. fact, the
1: only other use of this verb and in, in the whole Septuagint and Greek New Testament is in First Corinthians nine twenty four, where Paul says that he beat his body Jeez. to discipline himself to exercise self control. Wow. And. As a side note, this is the passage from which the passage the, the practice of self-flagellation came. In the Latin, it reads, castigo corpus meum, oh, I wow. chastise yeah, my body. Yeah, 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 yeah. a oh, lot of wow. people in, in the Catholic Church took that literally.
0: Right, right. But I had no idea that, that this was such a weak translation. It is a weak translation. And and, so
1: this is the verb here. And so perhaps the judge feared that she would humiliate him by slapping him in the face. Or Tom Wright's New Testament for Everyone says, so that she doesn't end up coming and give me a black eye. I mean, he takes it a little more literally. Um, The New New American Bible Revised Edition says, strike me. NIV says, attack me. So they preserve sort of that uh, primary notion of the verb, piazzo. I think if we adopt a figurative translation, it should at least maintain the connotation of public humiliation mm-hmm. such as browbeat me or give me a black eye in terms of shaming mm-hmm. him publicly um, right and the English standard version has beat me down and the contempor- the common English Bible has embarrassed me I think this is the idea
0: you, you wonder you wonder how they picked out such
1: a weak choice well it's you know I, I think I, I think it's you know it, when when English Bibles were being translated back in the you know, 15th and 16th centuries you know the, the Geneva Bible the King James Bible I think there was this sense of oh it, it, not it not only is it inappropriate for the woman to be so persistent about um, about constantly going back and demanding justice it would be Horribly inappropriate for a woman to actually strike a judge and give him a black eye. Maybe so that was it. They, yeah, so they, they, toned it down they toned it down because of their own. I mean, I it's think, obviously com- a choice. It was obviously a choice yeah. that they
0: chose something that week yeah. when it clearly means something different than yeah, that. Absolutely. Interesting.
1: Absolutely. Mm. So then Luke goes on and highlights Jesus' comment on the parable in a similar way to the parable of the dishonest manager. In verse six. And the Lord said, "Listen to what the unjust judge says." So again, just like dishonest manager, unjust judge is not a, a you know a character judgment that we're making. It's what Jesus calls this man an unjust judge. And just as those who would be faithful in discipleship learn about how they're to act with reference to wealth by the negative example of the manager's Mm -hmm. dishonesty. So Jesus says that the unjust judge Mm -hmm. highlights the character of God and serves as an encouragement to faithful discipleship, even when faced with hostility, injustice, and hardship. And again, the unjust judge is a negative example. Right. And Jesus here is arguing, this was a rhetorical principle that was used in the ancient world, from the lesser to the greater. If... This judge who doesn't fear God or man could be finally prevailed upon to grant justice. How much more right. will the merciful and loving and caring and beneficent God grant justice right. to those who cry out to him?
0: Right. And I like this again where Jesus tells us exactly this guy is unjust. Yep. This, this guy this is not how we justice is carried out. That's this right. is not acceptable. And I like it also because I think there would be people in that time who would think the woman doesn't deserve justice.
1: There would have been.
0: and so I mean,
1: because people in that position took advantage of their exactly. power to take advantage of the vulnerable.
0: Exactly. Wow,
1: surprise, surprise. Right, so that Jesus never happens is reminding days, us this, this isn't acceptable <laughs> if no. this practice. Well, and here's the other thing, is that every Torah scholar, every scribe should have been well aware of that. Exactly. Should have they been. They should have
0: been, but they weren't.
1: But they chose to overlook it. Exactly. Yeah.
0: Yeah. All right. So then what happens next? Well, this is next piece.
1: Yeah, we come to the point of the parable, and the point of the parable is raised in the question that Jesus poses. Will not God grant justice to his chosen ones who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long in helping them? And... So that's the point of the the parable, really, is the point about God's justice. And the first part of this verse is fairly straightforward. Mm -hmm. It's a construction that expresses emphatic negation. It's the use of the particles, ume, with a verb in the aorist subjunctive. Here, poieo, in the aorist subjunctive. Will he not Mm -hmm. give justice or will he not do justice, basically? And the idea here is to affirm that God will certainly grant justice to those who cry out to him. And um, so the, although it's formed in a question, it's really more of an emphatic affirmation. Of course God is going to grant justice to his chosen ones who cry to him day and night. Mm-hmm. And, and when I hear that phrase, cry to him day and night, I'm, think, I'm, I'm reminded of the Psalms. You know, there, there are Psalms that, that um, affirm, you know, God does not forget the cry of the afflicted. God pays attention to those who like widows and orphans who cry out to him in their need? Mm-hmm. However, we should also under, re- recall that that there are times in the Psalms when you know the psalmist in Psalm twenty-two right. says, "I cry to you and you do not hear." Right, right. right. So, so it, there is the problem of of unanswered prayer here, mm-hmm. and that kind of comes into play, I think, with some of the way some of the ways that some people try to interpret this. Sure. So the problem then comes up with the second part of the mm-hmm. verse, and there are two issues here. Is this a further part of the question, or is it an affirmation? No. That's one. Mm-hmm. And then does the verb makrothumeo mean to be patient here, as it usually does, or does it refer to the idea of acting slowly or delaying? Oh. And, you know, anytime you have multiple variables of interpretation, you can you can imagine there's been a great deal of debate and variety among translations among New Testament mm-hmm. scholars but the majority of modern english translations have some variation of the new rsv translation you know there is the first question will not god grant them justice to the chosen ones who cry out to him day and night and the implication is of course he will most certainly mm-hmm. he will will he and then the last part is a second question will he delay long in helping them and and that's so that's the way the majority of english translations go with and so the so I'd,
0: if this were not you said one of the questions is it's st- is is whether it's a question or not. Mm -hmm. So if you were going to take the question off, then he will
1: delay? Well, it goes in a different direction. i will get there in just a minute. But with this translation, the idea is that God will not delay unduly in granting justice to those who cry to him. This isn't meant, I think, to make light of the problem of unanswered prayer quote-unquote or that you know we need to persist in prayer because that's obviously what luke has said we need to persist in prayer and not lose heart right right Uh, well when do you need to persist in prayer and not lose heart well it's when you're praying and you don't get an immediate answer
2: right right?
1: so that's that's an obvious issue that's going on here in the background but the idea here is the affirmation that god will not unduly delay granting justice to those who cry out okay now older translations like the geneva bible the king james bible The American Standard Version and some more recent ones like the New Jerusalem Bible translate the last phrase as though he is patient with them, which does imply a delay that possibly may call into question God's faithfulness. You know, it's almost mm. as if a concession is here.
0: Uh-huh, right.
1: You still, have the, you still have the first phrase clearly affirming, you know, will not God grant justice to his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Yes, of course. But in this, in this way, in, in, this, in this option, it's although he is delaying, although he is mm. taking his time, although he is patient with them, meaning though he may delay. The idea is mm. so it's it's almost a concession, even though yeah. he may delay, will he not grant justice? So it's a different reading of the of the verse. I think you come to the same point essentially if you read it rightly, but it does call into question, I think, God's faithfulness Got in it. some respects. Interesting, huh? Now, two points are instructive here, I think. First, as Green observes, the gracious, attentive, beneficent character of God has become well-established in Luke's gospel. And that's a quote mm-hmm. from Green. Yeah, that's We've true. We've seen it. We've right. seen it. You know, God is the one whose, whose grace and mercy and love we can count on. We're to We're to... We're to we're to pray in that spirit of faith. We're to live in that spirit of faith. We're to we're to not worry about the clothes we wear or the food we eat. We're to seek the kingdom because we know that God is going to provide us with the things we need, and and, and He's going to do that. He's going to answer our 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 needs even bef- because He knows them even before we ask. You know, right. this is the idea that we've seen already in the Gospel of Luke. Right. So there's no way that 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 it would be consistent to suggest somehow that god was withholding his love and grace and mercy to his own for whatever reason mm-hmm. the idea th- that's not the idea you, you do have that idea perhaps the question of is god withholding his his love right. somehow in right. the bible elsewhere but that's not the point here
0: okay uh-
1: now, the second thing I think we need to notice that's instructive is that there's a striking parallel between Jesus' parable here and the affirmation of God's justice in Sirach. Interesting. 35, yeah. 15 through 25. If you're not familiar with it, the book of Joseph, Joseph ben Sirach is kind of a parallel to the book of Proverbs. But the parallel in Sirach 35, 22 is instructive. Um, Sirach is, is talking about how God is the judge. Who, who gives justice to the poor and especially mm-hmm. to the orphan and to the widow whose tears are on her face. God is the one who is, is the judge. And it says in, in Sirach thirty five twenty two. Indeed, the Lord will not delay and will not be patient when the orphan and widow oh, and call to him with tears. And here, Sirach uses the verb macrothumeo that we have in our verse.
0: Interesting. In
1: parallel with braduno, which means clearly to deny, delay. And so the idea is, you know, that um, here Sirach is, a, is affirming that God will not delay unduly. You know, there yeah. may be there may be a time when you have to wait, but but God is not going to put you off uh, out of some lack of faithfulness to His people, and 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 so that parallel is instructive. In fact, some people suggest that perhaps. Jesus or Luke or both, you know, crafted this parable um, with. Sirach I could see that with, with
0: so much parallelism there, and, and well, um, again, it's one
1: more, it's one more connection. It. It's uh-huh. one more connection between Luke and the Septuagint, right? Yeah, because Sirach was would have been in existence only. It's only in the Greek text, right? So it would have been ac- accessible in the Septuagint, and right? We see but the
0: listeners would have been familiar with it, you know, uh, at least probably. most of them, probably least, I, some of them would have. I I would. I don't know, maybe I'm pushing too far, but when when Greek is the vernacular of kind of trade and everything else, Mm -hmm. more people can probably read it and therefore, um, and certainly they can hear it. uh, So I would think there'd be some familiarity. I I would say
1: this I would say that the average person in Palestine probably had a working knowledge of Aramaic. They may or may not have been able to read and write it. They could have understood it as a, an That's oral communication. That's what I mean. They could
0: have oral or oral. Um, re- I,
1: I, I doubt, honestly, I doubt that the average person in Palestine would have had much of a working knowledge of Greek. I think, I think the average person in Palestine in that time probably would have had a, just a very, very basic, very basic familiarity with some phrases that, that he needed to use every day. But there would have been people, in the con- in the, in that context especially the jewish religious leaders who were educated and the educated would have been they, able they, they would have been able to read greek and they latin they
0: definitely would have been able yeah. to yeah yeah. yeah yeah so you're right it, it, it's hard to say. it's say. hard to say yeah it's hard to Interesting. say Interesting. i
1: don't think that most people would have been fluent in greek and latin i think they well, would have had just a very basic knowledge I, of of but greek but if this and latin. is
0: told as a story i think they would have been able to hear it as a story yeah.
1: I, well so. and here's the thing we have to remember that the pharisees the jewish religious leaders are still part of the audience here
0: that's true that's true
1: so so maybe they those who were educated in in and had familiarity with the septuagint would have heard the parallel there
0: yeah, yeah. I, exactly with God i guess that's what judge. we're finally getting to yeah. is that that this was not
1: yeah.
0: they would have heard this yeah. definitely yeah. yeah yeah
1: and so to me i think those two points both argue that however we translate it, you know, the point of this is not to question God's faithfulness, but that even if there is a delay, it's not going to be an undue delay, and God is most certainly going to grant justice to those who cry out to him.
0: So, so you said something about a double twist. Yeah, that we just and, got and, the and, beginning. you
1: know, so we've already got a twist to some extent in that we have the unjust judge serving as a negative example, reinforcing God's character as the ultimately just judge, Right. Right. But then there's a double twist in this parable because Jesus turns back to the question of what faith looks like in the face of hardships and even hostility, uh, the hostility his di- disciples will face before the day when the Son of Man is revealed and the purposes of the kingdom of God are fully accomplished. And so in the face of that challenge to discipleship, Jesus asks the question, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? And and that is the translation in the vast majority of English Um, translations. But Mm. the Greek text suggests a different notion from simply, will he find those who believe? Mm. Will he find faith on the earth? And it's implied by the fact that faith here is tain piston with the definite article. And that's Mm. unusual in a context like this, that we wouldn't expect, we would expect it to just be piston by itself. Will the Son of Man find faith faith piston? On Earth. but here it's tane piston and again another thing we have to remember is that the definite article can oftentimes be used like a demonstrative pronoun that faith hmm. will the son of man find that faith would be a better literal translation i think is that um, now
0: this is a question is that found in all the in all the different uh um Copies? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. copies. No, okay, that's no, what I wondered if yeah, that had no, any. No okay. variation
1: here, yeah. And actually, the Holman Christian Standard Bible does translate it that way. That, that faith. faith. Huh. And so, really, the question Jesus is asking is Will the Son of Man find the kind of persistent faith demonstrated by the widow in the parable? That's the kind of faith uh-huh. he's talking about. Interesting. And I like the message translation that kind of persistent faith.
0: Or oh wow! The Common
1: English Bible summarizes it by: "Will the Son of Man find faithfulness?" Oh yes, which also alludes to the. That's faithful a different translation. It that's, is. A different,
0: it is. that's a whole it's different. That's a whole different. It's not space. the question
1: of will he find people who believe. It's a right. question of will he find people who are persisting in faithfully. Uh, basically uh, w- w- you know will he find people who are persisting in faithfully uh, trusting uh, in this image of God that Jesus has so carefully crafted in Luke's gospel mm. of a, a god who is loving and caring and beneficent and the one in whom we can trust no matter what happens in <sighs> our lives right <laughs> yeah I mean, that's that's huge so, that's huge yeah you know, and think i think of this i think of this you know the fact that the woman is making the request is paralleled with the with those who cry out to God and so we think about the context of prayer well you know mm-hmm. i i'm i'm drawn back to the lord's prayer in luke 11:2 where jesus teaches his disciples to pray for the coming of the kingdom of god but in some respects i think in this light we see it sort of that that praying for the coming of the kingdom of god expanded to you know, praying for the full realization of God's wow. project in terms of the active quest of justice. Wow. And and that's something that, that's, that's a point that Luke, cool. that Luke, wow. uh, that Joel Green makes in his Luke commentary. That, and that
0: really illuminates uh, the gospel of Luke for us. I mean, we've had these messages and these themes, but this is like a, this is, this is what God's this is what God's mission is. Well, and we've
1: heard this all along. Uh-huh. You know, the justice of the kingdom is where the first become last and the last uh-huh. become first. It's where the lowly I mean. are exalted and the exalted yeah. are humbled, you know. And again, I'll I'll refer he's he's following Louise Shotroff and Lydia's patient sisters. And she says regarding the disciples, their whole existence is to be like that of the widow in relation to the unjust judge, praying and crying to God against injustices. Describes the whole life of believers, their efforts, their protests against injustice. So that gives a whole different meaning of those who hunger and thirst for righteousness or justice. Really, is the is the term Um, those who you know praying, Thy kingdom come. It really puts it in a whole different light. Wow! Yeah,
0: that this and so. For me, this is just turning out to be really one of my favorite parables and just something that's so rich. And I'm hoping everyone is listening thinking, oh, I'm excited to preach this. Yeah, definitely. It's really awesome. All right,
1: thanks. Thanks, Christy. Hi friends, we're back, and we're going to uh, take a look at what Christy found in the reformers. And uh, so, Christy, tell us about what you found here.
0: Yeah, I think the overriding message from this for the reformers is really the priesthood of all believers, and this idea that you can pray to God for yourself
1: directly. It's a
0: direct, yeah, mm-hmm. directly to God. And um, I
1: guess sort of like (laughs) just like the widow approaches the judge directly. Right. Well,
0: yeah. Not only that, but she prays Mm -hmm. directly. Also, Mm -hmm. what Mm -hmm. is she doing? She's praying to God for Mm -hmm.
1: help. Right.
0: And so she's an example then of prayer in that way.
1: Those who cry out to me day and night. Yeah.
0: And so. You know, in the in Roman Catholic Church, there's an emphasis on the saints as mediators. So, if you were really in need, I mean, in, in a Roman Catholic tradition, if you were really in need, if you were this widow, you wouldn't go to Jesus and pray. You would go to some saint who patron, would patron
1: saint of widows.
0: Exactly, who yeah. would who would who would um, intercede
1: it, on your behalf? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: The result is that the Reformers uh, criticized this as kind of a a polytheism, if you will, um, as the poor people who would be looking for direct intervention from the the saints. And it's a reminder that there is, um, for the Reformers, that there is one God, and everyone, even the unjust judge, actually could receive help from God. And this is... um, this idea for 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 the reformers are saying, look, they're they're the, the Lord has actually implanted knowledge in them about His knowledge. So it's this unjust judge is 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 recognizing that even in him is this basic knowledge of God that is there. That he's resisting,
1: yeah. perhaps. Yeah. yeah, it, yeah. It, it, well, it sounds like it sounds like if I may, if I say it this way, it sounds like even the unjust judge recognizes recognizes that he doesn't fear God. He's still he still a testing to the fact that there is this implanted knowledge in his soul you know he yeah. knows it's there but he's yeah. he's he's acting against it
0: yes and it, within this context of the cult of saints is um this idea that it affirms these inequality of people. Mm. In other words, it, it, it it kind of affirms the injustice that's already in place. Mm -hmm. So this verse for them is one, um, that juxtaposes those that have and have not, and suggests that the, those who are typically the have nots are, are equal in God's eyes. And, um, one of the, one of the early reformers, and I hesitate to call him a reformer, he's a Roman Catholic theologian named Jacques Lefebvre de, de Taple, who is um, kind of an early humanist, but some of his ideas are going to impact the Reformation. And he is the one that emphasizes that um, it is the right of the widow to pray. And he argues for equality um, and access to God, that all should have access to prayer. And he furthermore says that that the, that the judge gives into her, um, but he feels that um, the motive of the judge is not pure.
1: Oh, surely! And, I mean, he's thinking about himself, right?
0: Exactly. <laughs> it's a pretty common theme. And the reformers claim that the judge is acting because she might hurt his reputation. I, I love that what, part. Yeah, is what we saw. I mean, he yeah. he clearly sees that, um, um, or he clearly is not responding to her ultimately out of any any kind of, um. Honesty in his part, although he does finally, as we talked about before, um, he finally does um, does help her. Um, and they said even that little bit of little bit of, of willingness to help her comes from God. But um, but anyway, this and Jacques Lefebvre here is actually drawing a picture that shows the relationship between the rich and the poor, and yet God's ability to act despite mm. the inequalities.
1: Well, it sounds like he had a a clear understanding of the justice of God's kingdom.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, And then he concludes his analysis suggesting um, that always reaching out to God will strengthen us.
1: You know, I I think about the cult of the saints. And, you know, I grew up in the Methodist church and the Baptist Mm -hmm. church. And, you know, there was nothing like that. For us, I mean, I grew up with Catholic friends, and I knew about the ideas of patron saints. Mm-hmm. But and I and I guess my understanding is that for some people, the idea of approaching Jesus even is too intimidating, oh, because of the exalted nature of of right. the the, the right. idea of the risen Christ right. in the Catholic Church, right? And and so that that perhaps these these human saints are more approachable to them, but. I I don't know. I never have felt the need to 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 uh, you know do anything like that because I mean I think in the, in the Reformed tradition our notion of God is one that you know encourages us to come before God.
0: Well, I think because Jesus is. In the medieval and 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 well, and it really comes forward is ultimately the judge. Mm. Um, and if you've done something that you feel you can you, you want to be you want to be right and holding a plea in front of Jesus, you don't want to be wow. judged. So you come to somebody else right. when you've got that. I've really done something <laughs> bad. What do we, Jesus
1: doesn't know won't hurt you in the judgment. Perhaps,
0: maybe. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, somebody came to me the other day asking me about the cult of saints, and she was really, really. I really like that they're up there, and they're you know that there's this is community up there, and that they could talk to God for me. And she's very comforted by that. By that thought and I said you know it's not that there's not people there that conversing but it's that you can go to God directly mm-hmm. yourself and yeah. I yeah. um it was an interesting conversation well, so there,
1: there's room for the communion of saints in reform mm-hmm. theology but as you say I mean our notion of the communio sanctorum is that um you know they are the ones who finish their race and they're the ones who are right. encouraging us to finish ours
0: right right so moving on another thing that they talked about was the idea that we should continue to pray even if we do not get an immediate answer from god that's pretty straightforward Mm -hmm. um god does answer prayers uh and will answer them when the time is right is how they understand Mm -hmm. it they argue that if quote unwearied prayer of a widow leads to a just sentence from an unjust judge what may the godly not hope God. I
1: love that. I love that. That is, mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's exactly spot on, you know, yeah. because, because it points out that idea that I was talking about, I've, arguing from the lesser to the greater.
0: Right, right. Um, and then I suppose the most um, interesting interpretation is the <laughs> metaphor that the judge represents false Christians at the end of the age and the woman, the true Christian.
1: <laughs> I'm sorry, I was chuckling there. I'm reading your notes and I'm just like, this is... It's, I didn't. Sure. Kind of <laughs> out there.
0: <laughs> yeah, sure. Why not? And I actually don't know, and I didn't have time to check today if that. You know, that metaphorical approach was very much popular in the, in the Middle Ages. I don't know if there's some tra- trace back into the Middle Ages with this kind of metaphorical approach. Um, but anyway, at least one of the fellows during the Reformation used this approach. And I think when you've got this age, when everyone is experimenting with everything, you're, you're going to see that. Well, so.
1: and we do know that allegory was the preferred method of biblical interpretation yeah. during the Middle Ages.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. So it, it, it very well may have. Yeah. So, um, you know, as I said, I, obviously this this priesthood of all believers is one of the main things, um, and I think um, um, probably is not on the forefront of modern interpretation. But again, to think of ourselves in the Reformation, it it was really one of the huge problems with the faith, um, and you've got this strange <laughs> you've got this strange relationship between lay practice which is uh, it's a faith there's a lot of superstition i i guess i could see that today in terms of how many people are out there that still have santa Claus come at christmas all the time they still say god bless you when you sneeze and yet their knowledge of the real workings of of scripture and and the faith tradition are kind of lame and i liken it to that um and so the laity were not considered spiritually equal nor was that really a problem right? Mm -hmm. Because you had people that could intercede for you. You had priests, that was their job. Mm -hmm. And so that wasn't, um, it wasn't really the big thing. However, there has been, um, a kind of a tradition that they didn't know anything, that they were uh, completely outside the church. And I think they're more religious than, than, than sometimes, uh, uh, within their own context, and sometimes we give them credit. Not only with those popular things, but they were coming to mass. Some mm-hmm. of these people took on the the spirit of the mass. They they recognized the centrality of it. Um, they still were giving lots and lots of money and and seeing the the town hall nature of the of the church. So and and one of the uh, people I found was a piece by uh, Virginia Reinberg who does work on liturgy, and she was talking about. What they did is they would go, and they could see the, the, a spectacle of the mass, the the ritual of the mass, and if you've been in one of the you know uh, European churches while one's going on, it, it really is you kind of puts you into awe at, mm-hmm. at, at what's going on, and uh, maybe we under maybe we underestimate that today at an age when we have TV and movies and everything at our fingertips. I I
1: would say that in whether in intentionally or inadvertently, the focus of the reform of the reformed church and, and well, all the magisterial reformers on more the preaching of the word has right. ha, and understanding has has diminished our sense of the mystery of God and the mm-hmm. mystery of God's yeah. work and and a, an appreciation yeah. a, a, a sort of an awe filled appreciation right. for the mystery of what God I, is doing. I think
0: so, and yeah. so this is part of. I mean, this is this almost has. I think of it as like how the temple was so you know hallowed and and awesome and you couldn't even go in Mm -hmm. and and she talks (laughs) she talks about that this is um something that we've kind of lost track of today Mm -hmm. and i think it i think it's fair i think a lot of times you know we take for granted um when i think of like a full orchestra and how amazing they are live but because we can have so many recordings at our fingertips we lose that Amazingness of coming into mm-hmm. a, something where that many people are in harmony, and she suggests that that this is one of the things that they're really involved with, and because of mm-hmm. that, they they learn things. Um, they have this sense of awe about their lives. They have this, you know, the the, the the visual images of the stained glass windows that that teach them some of the very basic tenets of the faith. They mm-hmm. have this rudimentary knowledge of the faith, and she wanted us to be um, just aware that it's not a complete lack of knowledge mm-hmm. that we might that we might want to attribute to them
1: so 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 you know coming back to the idea of the priests of the believers you know i mean you, you do see this sort of educational function in terms of all people being able to read the bible right. in their own language and right. and learning about and hearing hearing right. the word preached you know and right. that kind of thing but um You know what I hear. What I hear her her saying is that it's not like it was total ignorance on the part of the Mm -mm. people who are participating in the the Catholic right. It's just
0: that. They're, they were limited in terms especially of biblical knowledge of what they actually knew was in it so they would know stories but they didn't know details of stories they certainly didn't know the nuances of the Greek that we're learning today they're I mean they're gonna have stories and they're gonna know them in an oral way much mm. more like a child would
1: well and you know I my understanding is that in the Catholic world of that time of the Middle Ages you know there were there were sort of religious plays that acted out a lot yep. of these stories absolutely.
0: For the people. Yep, because I'll, the
1: because the scriptures would have been read in Latin right and the mass would have been spoken in Latin right and you know you, uh, now when it's spoken in English you can hear there are right. many resonances with scripture in the in the liturgy right but if it's in Latin and you don't know Latin you don't understand that exactly
0: yeah. exactly and of course in Reformation wise in terms of prayer then there was this idea of oh well we need to encourage prayer Um and it's so hundreds of prayer books came out and, mm-hmm. and, and teaching and, and scriptural-based pieces and, and, and getting at what the Reformers think is a more authentic faith and one that really allows them to know God um, through, if you will their Their oral and their intellectual ability more than this kind of mystical space. But um, what's interesting is because they know the stories, and she actually provided this really fantastic um, story that is not biblical. Um, but I thought it had a lot of parallels with today's um, with today's message, and, and she, it,
1: it, it comes from the medieval Catholic context, right? Right. right. Yeah.
0: And what's interesting about it is it's not the same story. Um, at all. But I think anyone listening to it that knew the story of the unjust judge would have recognized these parallels. So I'm going to read it here. and just want you to listen as well. So instead of a poor w- widow, it's an upright woman of Rome while hearing mass, prayed to our Lord about a case she had to take before a judge. And when she went before the judge, a friend told her that she would lose her case if she did not grease her lawyer's palm. She did not want that to happen, so she purchased a pot of gold grease, because she knew it would be more valuable than new. When she saw the good woman's simplicity, the lawyer did so much for her that the sentence went in her favor. And our Lord did this because the woman had prayed devoutly at Mass about the matter. For through devotion and good intention she had gone to Mass every day. Thus her prayer was heard, and she won her case.
1: So So you pray in the right way at the right time in the right place, then your prayer will be heard. So
0: in other words, (laughs) some of the, yeah, instead of really hearing what the scripture has said about this, this twists it just a little bit, the story in their minds, and gives them this idea of, oh, but I should be praying at Mass, and Mm -hmm. I should be looking for someone's help who I'm going to pay to do this kind of work. And um, anyway, then, of course, in this, if you do it right, your prayer will be answered.
1: Yeah, I, I, I love that. Our Lord did this because the woman had played, prayed devoutly at mass about the matter. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you you pray the right in the right place in the right way, then you get your prayer answered. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. So I mean, again, I think it's well. This wasn't tied directly. I think I think anyone that heard this that knew the story would have heard Mm -hmm. would have seen the parallel and Mm -hmm. i think it reminds us though of how and and this is the kind of stuff that the reformers were concerned about was how the biblical stories were somehow shifted to fit the context of the roman catholic church Mm -hmm. and their needs as opposed to hearing the, the clarity of the word and we get that a lot you need to hear the clarity of the word you need to hear it um you, you need to hear it without all of the misinterpretations and without the theological baggage of the church. And I think what's interesting about that is that what's so huge is it, it requires us to ho- take a whole shift, a paradigm shift, into how the church needs to move and operate away outside of the Roman Catholic space. Well,
1: and I think all of us are well aware of what it takes to affect that kind of paradigm shift You know, whether it's talking about praying to saints versus approaching God directly or, or, you know, whatever it may be, you know, those kinds of things that have been ingrained in people for decades or centuries, you know, they don't change quickly.
0: No, they don't. They don't. So anyway, there's a couple little things for us to think about today with what goes on with the Reformation.
1: All right. Thanks, Thanks, Christy.
0: Hi friends, we're back, and we were thinking about the passage today, and um, one of the main emphases, of course, is prayer, um, and we're also talking about this idea of prayer and the priesthood of all believers. Um, but what does that mean? And I think, um, I think that's a big question. I think we tend to think that uh, oh, there's no longer a priest there in our space, and therefore we have access to God, and therefore. Um, do we actually need saints at all? Mm-hmm. So, Alan, why don't you?
1: Well, you know, um, as I think about the passage itself, you know, again, I think the main focus there is the question of, you know, can we maintain our faith in this image of God that Jesus has crafted in the Gospel of Luke? He's a God- who is loving and merciful, caring and and generous, um, a God who knows our needs before we ask. And so we can pray in the assurance that here, will not God grant justice to those who cry out to him day and night? Of course he will, Mm -hmm. right? And, and, And that especially relates to the question of how we respond and how we maintain our faith, when we experience injustice, and how we respond to injustice. But as I was thinking about the connection with prayer and the priesthood of all believers, mm-hmm. you know, the, the concept in the Reformation era is the priesthood of all believers.
0: Right, right.
1: And it emphasizes that we have the right to access God directly. We don't right. have to go through any kind of mediation. But in this day, in, in a lot of Protestant circles that has morphed into something very different mm-hmm. it is called the priesthood of the believer, the believer. individually right. and sort of sort of we can have our own relationship to God individually and that's not the concept right. of the priesthood of all exactly. believers exactly
0: and therefore I don't need the church I right. don't need other people to right. pray for me I don't need um, I don't need help and and yeah. uh, that's, a, that's the kind of modern cons, egoism concept that I think has, has kind of ruined, if you will, the priesthood of all believers, mm-hmm. and frankly, is hurting the church as a whole. Surely. Um, and I would argue those folks that are in this space are really missing out on the blessings of God and, and how God created us to be in community. So. Well,
1: it's kind of like what I was talking about earlier, you know, yeah, we don't... We don't uh, pray to the saints as mediators, right. but we still have room in the Protestant world for an understanding of the communion of the saints. And I mean, right. if we if we affirm the Apostles' Creed, we say, "I believe in the communion of saints." Right. And and the point of that is to say that. Um, yeah, not only do we believe that there are those who have gone before us, who have finished their race, who encourage us to finish ours, but that part of that encouragement that we, that we right. receive in the face of the injustice of a world in which the kingdom of God is not yet fully completed is from the fellowship of believers right. all seeking to remain faithful and hold fast to the faith in the God that Jesus has has. Characterized for us as loving and caring and merciful and generous, you know that no matter what happens to us, we can trust and rely that God will grant justice to those who cry to Him day and night. Yeah,
2: yeah. yeah, Um,
1: yeah. And and and, but we do that together. Right. We don't do it as as lone ranger individuals.
0: And you know what's interesting about that is I think I think some of these individuals that that jump into this and expect God to be this kind of magician to change their status in their course and and bring me justice today and or or fix my whatever or and and they're they're really missing out on a the way god works is frequently through others mm-hmm. and um uh, it reminds it reminds me of a story i'm gonna tell a story um where um my my, my mother grew up on a um, uh, a small farm, um, and during the Depression, and uh, the family had lost the entire haystack. Mm. Um, and uh, and they lost it because my my uncle, um, had accidentally set it on fire. Oh, and goodness. so when he went back into the household that day, mom said it wasn't that they were mad; it was that they were devastated, and th- it, it, she said it was this kind of. It was kind of this terror of we cannot feed the animals mm-hmm. for the winter. We lost everything. Mm-hmm. And um, she said it was a, this eerie kind of emptiness that didn't require anyone um, pointing fingers because there was this, this, this sense of we're going to starve to death um, that went along with it. And um, what was interesting is how the prayer was answered was um, somehow somebody the next day must have dropped off a whole new hay bale. Wow. them a whole whole new haystack. No one saw it happen. Nobody knows who did it. Wow. But there was a haystack the next morning. Wow. Yeah. And thinking about the community that somehow figured out how to replace Mm -hmm. that haystack, I don't think Mm -hmm. God magically... Made it go poof. I think it no. happened in the community. Yeah,
1: someone got word of it, and and I would say God, the spirit of God,
0: exactly. You know,
1: moved their moved them to compassion to help provide for their families. Exactly, needs. exactly.
0: Yeah. Not that's asking, how God works. Yeah, that's how God works. <laughs> yeah. That's the community of it working. Well, and I
1: like that whole emphasis on compassion because you know when we think about injustice today, you know, our tendency is to blame. And to point the fingers and to take legal action, and you know, I, I realize there's a place for um, um, pushing back against unjust structures, and I, I, I don't, I don't challenge that. I will have to say myself personally, I've always felt much more comfortable being in the space of being the one to respond compassionately to individuals who have been. Right. Um, uh, uh, you know, who have had to endure injustice. Right, right, right. I am much more comfortable being in that role of being the one who's going to, at least if not organize, you know, if right. I can't provide the haystack for the family myself, I'm going to try to figure out if there's someone who can and right. see if I can organize the haystack yeah. for the family. Yeah, right?
0: yeah, exactly, exactly. And I think, you know, a lot of us are called to that kind of one-on-one ministry, but it still is encouraging that person to, to figure out how they're going to reengage with the whole mm-hmm. and reengage with the church and, re- and, and, and and begin to to share and converse with others and, and that's huge, but people have missed that about the church. they think it's about their individual relationship with God and instead of that they have um, both um, support and responsibility to the community
1: right well and I think so many people approach faith christian faith from the perspective of you know if i if i do all the right things if i trust in jesus you know if i if i come to church then you know my life will turn out the way i hope it will and all my dreams will be fulfilled Mm -hmm. and you know i mean all you got to do is read the bible to see that's not how god works in people's lives you know people who are the most faithful Sometimes suffer the most hardship in this world right. and the most injustice, but nevertheless, that doesn't mean that God has abandoned them. Um, you know, they are the ones who oftentimes have the most faith. And and instruct the rest of us who kind of depend on those external crutches for our faith. Mm-hmm. But I think that sort of that sort of almost faith as glorified wish fulfillment really gets in the way of seeing the point of a passage like this. Because the point of the passage like this is that, as the reformer said, you know, God is going to grant His justice in the right time. Mm-hmm. And and yeah, I mean. You know, we talked about that translation of that verse, you know, will he delay Mm -hmm. or though he may delay or however you want to translate it. The the point is, yeah, God doesn't always answer our pleas for justice exactly when we want him to. But nevertheless, you know, I think the challenge is to hold firmly to this faith that Jesus has been trying to Mm -hmm. um, cultivate in his disciples all throughout the Gospel of Luke that no matter what happens, we look to God as the God who is always loving, always caring, always faithful, always generous, Mm -hmm. and the God who knows what we need before we even ask and delights to care for us. You know, God knows if we're suffering injustice. One of my favorite um, illustrations of this is... um, uh, a sermon from a, a German pastor named Helmut Thielicke, who was mm-hmm. active mm-hmm. during World War II. Mm-hmm. And this, this uh, he, he, has, he has a small collection of books called The Silence of God, uh, a, a small collection of sermons called The Silence of God. And um, the title sermon, The Silence of God, is based on Jesus' cry of, of, of agony from the cross and, you know, the idea that God was silent. And it was written right after the Battle of Stalingrad, right. which right. was you know just a you know the biggest defeat of the German army perhaps in ho- all of World War II. And of course, many right. people, many of the German people, lost sons and brothers mm-hmm. and fathers mm-hmm. who were casualties of that battle. So it was a huge trauma for the German people. And Helmut Tielek had preached this sermon. He said you know, where was God when Jesus cried out? And in other words, where is God when you're crying out and you don't seem to have an answer? Why is God silent? And the answer he gives is, I'm paraphrasing here, he's silent because he's suffering with Jesus.
0: Right, right.
1: Or he's silent because he's suffering with you right now. Right. And so the fact that God may delay in granting you the justice that you seek from God doesn't mean that God is uncaring. I, I see it as... God is suffering that injustice along with you. Yeah, but absolutely. But again, the affirmation is right. God will most certainly grant justice.
0: But the the justice, yeah, it will come, and yeah, I, I yeah. guess we say it will come in God's time. Yeah, and and I think I think that's <laughs> I think that often in that is um, just our own patience with. Mm-hmm. I mean, our time frame is so immediate, um, and and and. Uh, Sometimes it's hard to say oh, God's time, but I, but I, but I really do think that 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 happens.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, and I would say it's it's a it's it's the justice of the kingdom. So it's a certain kind of justice. Yeah,
0: I think so too.
1: Um, you know, James. Right. You know, a lot of times people who work for justice do so motivated by anger. Right. And right,
0: you are right. That is.
1: And I, you huge, know, I understand the anger. Mm-hmm. I understand the anger, but I I fear. That anger work for justice that's motivated by anger, can can sometimes do as much harm as it does good. And I think good about James. James says says your anger does not produce the righteousness of God. Well, right. the righteousness of God, the word is dikaiosune in James mm-hmm. chapter one. It's the same word for justice. Right. So the idea is again that you know. We have to use kingdom means to accomplish kingdom ends, and so we accomplish, it's the justice of the kingdom that we want to seek.
0: I think we forget that, and I know we've talked about that a lot in the Presbyterian church Mm -hmm. as a whole, but that is something that many of us forget, especially when you look out there and you see all the injustices done, and you want to respond, and our modern world has this kind of wanting to respond in anger, Mm -hmm. and that doesn't solve anything well, and honestly
1: know? there are sometimes i see some injustices and i am angry i am oh, angry we're angry with that. We're,
0: yeah. we we feel angry Yes. but it's part of how do i how do i step back take a deep breath and respond as a child of god
1: as the widow in the, the parable widow. did exactly. she kept persisting in mm-hmm. in 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 and seeking justice and i think that's the idea is that we continually seek justice at god's feet not you know in dismay like the widow was frustrated because this this unjust judge could care less about her but we we do so knowing that we are coming to the right. God who loves us right. and knows right. with the, knows with, the trust, with that love yeah. that yeah. you know, implanted and, with, that, right? and, the, and the confidence that God is going to fulfill his kingdom purposes.
0: Yeah, Yeah. Well, thank you.
1: All right. Thank you. That's our podcast for today. If you heard something that was helpful to you, please subscribe to our podcast and tell your friends about us.
0: It's our hope and prayer that our time together might bear fruit in your ministry as you build up the body of Christ.
1: We hope you'll tune in next week. And in the meantime, let's keep serving each other as we together
0: listen listen for for the the word.
1: word.